Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 208. On this week's show, I'm really excited to have author Oren J. Sofer joining me. He is a communication expert and mindfulness teacher at Spirit Rock in Woodacre, California, which is in the Bay Area near me. He recently wrote the book, Say What You Mean, A Nonviolent Approach to Communication, and I am super delighted to have him as a guest on the podcast here as we are kicking off season five. This is definitely one of those deep conversations that I found so engaging on many levels. From a coaching and academic perspective, I thoroughly enjoyed learning more about how to look at and use mindfulness in my daily life. And from a personal perspective, I found this conversation to be so insightful into how humans communicate and default into what is often a habitual pattern as opposed to our natural pattern. And I also really enjoyed it so much that my husband and I have started reading Oren's book out loud to each other to better our communication style. So before we get to the show, I want to wish you a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in to Jumpstart Your Joy. I am Paula and I am the host here and we are in our fifth season of Jumpstart Your Joy. It is such a total delight to get to do this show. I'm recording this intro actually from my hotel room at She Podcasts Live, which is the women's podcasting convention that has happened over the last three days. It has been so amazing. 700 women showed up here in Atlanta, Georgia, and we have spent the last three days learning about podcasting as a craft, you know, intermingling, getting to dance last night. I mean, it just really, there was this moment last night at the extrovert introvert party where I was dancing and realizing this is kind of amazing. Like five years ago when I started my own podcast, I would never have imagined this amazingly diverse, energetic, loving group of people would be coming together and that I would get to be in their midst. And today I also got to give one of the presentations. I was a speaker and talked about a creative content jumpstart about how to craft content for your podcast. Also, if you are new here, you can find out more about Jumpstart Your Joy at my website, which is jumpstartyourjoy.com. And while you are there, you can find show notes for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Oren, O-R-E-N. And in there, I'll link back to his book and some interesting things that he has coming up, which is an online class about mindful communication. While you're there, you can also sign up for my newsletter, which is three joyful things where I get to unpack some of the exciting insights that I have about each episode. It's really fun to get to send those out to you guys. So I think you're going to really love this interview with Oren J. Sofer. His presence is really amazing, which we'll notice right off the bat. And I love how how this discussion that he and I have fits so beautifully into the theme for season five, which is you are always in choice. And I love how much of what Oren and I talk about fits into this season. By slowing down and noticing your own habitual patterns of speech and noticing your patterns of arguments, like maybe if you and your spouse tend to have the same argument again and again and again, it might not be over the same topic, but you find that if follows the same pattern. Well, that's what I'm talking about. You know, if you start to notice those trends, then you can start to make choices to do something different. It's the awareness and the mindfulness of noticing that what's what you're doing is no longer working for you. And then you can make that really attuned decision to try something else. Or it's going to give you some steps on how to approach that communication from a different way. And I just can't wait to share this interview with you. Welcome to the show. This week, I'm so very excited and honored to have Oren J. Sofer, the author of Say What You Mean, on Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, Oren. Hey, Paula. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) It's a treat. Thank you. The thing that I ask everybody at the front of the show is, would you tell us what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks joy? Mm, What a beautiful question. Yeah. Um, nature has always been a real high point for me. In fact, I tell a story sometimes about a, a particular memory that I have as a, as a kid, as a small child, that later in life I connected to kind of setting me on my, on my path 
to be doing the work that I'm doing today. So I was lying on my back in our backyard. There were some hemlock trees and pine trees in our backyard. So it was all kind of pine needles. And just lying on my back, not doing anything the way kids are great <laughs> at, at doing. You know, today, as adults, we need to actually work to achieve a state of non-doing. Uh, just lying on my back, looking at the sky. And it was a really clear day, blue sky with some clouds. And I remember looking up and having the insight, wow, clouds move. And it was this it was this profound moment of understanding like the pictures that I had seen in picture books or looking at the sky for a moment that it's actually changing, that it's actually moving, mm-hmm. which, you know, as anyone who's done any contemplative practice or looked inwards knows like that's such a powerful insight about our, our lives as human yeah. beings, not just on the conceptual level, but to actually experience it. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I'm struck by like kind of a visual of clouds moving is very much what I was taught to kind of think of around centering prayer, which is also mm. a centering meditation. And it's mm-hmm. one of the versions of it is looking down from a mountain and seeing your thoughts as clouds mm. and just letting them pass. Right. <laughs> so it's like, that's beautiful. Yes. Like that kind yeah. of parallel. I don't know if that's what you were kind of hinting at. No, absolutely. And there's a very similar analogy in uh, in tibetan buddhism that you know the, the mind is like the sky open and vast and clear and and thoughts and emotions are like clouds that just come and go passing through our awareness and the you know the tendency we have as human beings is to focus on the content of our experience on what's happening whether mm-hmm. it's internally our own thoughts and emotions or externally the events of our life and we we tend to miss the process we tend to miss the the space within which everything is happening, whether that's the space of our own heart or the clarity of our mind. Mm, yes. <laughs> I'm so, also, yeah, and, and it's yeah. amazing there that you talk about that. I mean, we could jump in there if, if it's the right moment, but about that pause and the process and the space yeah. being part of communication as well. Your book is amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. And we often don't slow down enough to pick it up. But yeah, yeah. maybe before we even go there, would you explain what it is that you do now and kind of mm-hmm. where you are today? Absolutely. So um, ah, I, I love the opportunity to just articulate this even for myself because it's always kind of evolving given the the times that we're living in and the oh, sorts yes. of challenges that we're facing as a species on the planet and in our governments and societies, all, all of the, all of the difficulties that um, we have the opportunity to engage with and support. So I, t- I teach people to quiet themselves in order to look inside and have more clarity, purpose, and meaning in their lives. And then I also teach people how to how to take that sense of clarity, purpose, and meaning internally and live in a way that is deeply connected to that, particularly in their relationships and conversations and work. So, you know, you might, if you were to frame it in questions, you would say, how do I get in touch with my deepest values and what's most true in myself and in being alive as a human being? And then how do I align my life in that way so that my relationships, my conversation and my work are reflecting those values. And so those are, that's kind of the the themes you could say, or the structure and then the the content or the practice. So I teach uh, insight meditation and mindfulness meditation, and I teach communication and, uh, and the intersection of those two, how our inner awareness can inform and deepen our relationships and conversations. So we have more meaningful and effective conversations in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I really enjoyed how your book kind of pulls that all apart and lets you look at, I mean, lets the reader look at the pieces of communication and what's going on for them Mm -hmm. internally. Because I think what, and you bring this up in your book, we are so often imprinted on as we grow up and mm-hmm. I think maybe you have a more elegant word for it but like mm-hmm. <laughs> like how we come into the world and we don't we just kind of learn a communication style but it's very rare that we slow down to think about how that works or yeah where our reactions are coming from yeah no completely yeah we all have a lot of conditioning around the ways we communicate you know and 
it's fascinating to even contemplate that the words that you and I are even using right now and the fact that even anyone can understand what we're saying um, is because language is an inherited phenomenon. None of us create the language that we use. It's a cultural phenomenon and it's something that we pick up and learn from our family, our culture, our society. And so it carries with it history. Mm-hmm. It carries with it the history of, our, of human relationships, the history of exploitation, the history of oppression, the history of art, of culture, all that is embedded in the language that we use. And so as we grow and come to consciousness individually of our own place in the world, we start to recognize that some of the things perhaps that we've picked up along the way, views, assumptions, embedded ways of looking at the world or relating to ourselves or others actually don't serve us, Mm -hmm. that they're actually just old patterns from the past. And so the the great gift of having access to these practices is that we can change and transform those patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the basis of your book is around mindfulness. And I wonder if maybe you could explain how you interpret that or like how that plays out and how you see it. Because I think mindfulness mm-hmm. is one of those words that's mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> maybe loaded or slightly yeah. overused in some contexts right now. And so would you give us the kind of the lay of the land of what you mean when you say mindfulness? Sure. Yeah, I, I so appreciate <laughs> <laughs> you're acknowledging that. Yeah, the, the word has been used so much. It's, it's um, subject to concept creep, I think, is the phrase where, you know, a, a concept sort of gets wider and wider and sort of loses its meaning because now it means anything and everything. It so, does, yeah. So mindfulness is an innate quality that we all have as human beings. Um, it's the ability to pay attention and be aware of what's happening in the present moment in a balanced way. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness has these two, these two components of present time awareness. We know what's happening. We're not lost in thought. We're not spinning in the past or the future. But the other key component is it's not just about attention. It's not just about knowing what's happening. It's actually a particular kind of relationship mm-hmm. to our experience. So our mind is balanced. There's a clarity that's not distorted by bias, so we're, we're not seeing through the lens of the past or the lens of our preferences and, and conscious or unconscious biases. We're more and more approaching a clear, direct experience of life and what's happening. So this is a very powerful capacity that we have as human beings directly connected to things like the scientific method, the ability to observe something and learn and study it to put aside our assumptions and past ideas about whatever that phenomenon is. And it's deeply connected to our inner life, our ability to understand ourselves, to, to start to get some clarity and, and perspective on the emotions and the stories we tell ourselves and the sense of identities that we carry. And in the context of communication and our relationships, mindfulness is, is the foundation. You know, I, one of the things that I teach is that communication, the currency of communication is understanding, right? When we communicate, essentially we're sending and receiving messages. And when a communication is effective, understanding occurs, right? That cycle of sending a message gets completed. The recipient on the other side receives the message accurately. That's communication. So if we want to communicate, if we want to actually understand one another, the first and most fundamental condition that needs to be in place is awareness. We need to be present. Otherwise, we're not going to understand anything. We're just going to be distracted or we're going to be filtering everything through our own ideas and assumptions. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that's so powerful. I mean, I know just even in conversation with my husband, there's oftentimes things that come up and both mm-hmm. of us are filtering through our own right. experiences and, right. and even what preconceived ideas of what the other person means. Exactly. And then it becomes really hard to have a conversation that feels like we're coming at it from a place of, mm-hmm. I don't know, of like, what, of being non-attached maybe? I'm I'm not sure if that's how it goes. How about this? What about openness and love? 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? That sense of like, who who is this person that I wake up next to every day? And right. how, how can I, you know, how can I share my life in a way with you? That's uh, for onward leading for both of us and nourishing. Yes. So, so let's, let's kind of take this the next step. And so, you know, you speak to this reality that for all of us, because of the way our minds work, right? We are, we are learning machines and we learn based on patterns. We're Mm -hmm. not machines, but we're, (laughs) we're learning organisms. Yes. And the way, one of the ways that we learn is by studying patterns. And so we carry those templates and patterns into the present moment and then filter things through them. It's a very useful function that the mind plays. But as you point out, sometimes they're not accurate. So the two, the two keys here. So number one, even though I teach mindfulness and teach mindfulness meditation and mindfulness retreats and mindful communication, <laughs> all of that, the word that I prefer to use, and you know this from having read my book, is mm-hmm. presence. Right. And I choose that word because for me, mindfulness sounds really heady and mental. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to I've got to think about something, or I've got to be kind of up here in my head observing something that's out there, or or somehow separate from me. Whereas that word presence for me it connotes being in my own body, really living in my own skin and feeling life, really being connected deeply to what's happening. And that's actually what mindfulness is about. It's not so much a cognitive experience as it is a a felt and lived experience. We're in the flow of our life, knowing, sensing, tasting what's happening directly without flipping out or getting spun around by it. Right. And you in other places in your book, is that the same as activated? Like you feel triggered in some way or, or is that a slightly different thing? Well, activation can, can happen at, at, you know, that's kind of just sort of how our nervous system works. Um, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And presence or mindful awareness is going to be what uh, lets us notice or be aware that activation is happening. So, so what you're pointing to, Paul, is the, the next step that I was okay, going to share. Yeah, <laughs> I was no, going to say, totally, please continue. Yeah. yeah, we're totally in tune here. So, awesome. so you talked about whether it's a colleague or a relative or our, our, you know, our spouse or kid or loved one. Sometimes we come to the moment with a certain expectation and they're saying something or doing something and we're receiving it in a way that's not intended because we're reacting based on something from the past that's a filter or a, uh, that we're carrying. Mm-hmm. The beauty and the power of mindfulness and presence is that it doesn't mean being calm and grounded and, you know, sort of this fiction of a perfect person all the time, not at all. What it means is that we're aware and connected to whatever is happening. So in the moment of having that reaction where we get triggered, and so I'm just, I was just thinking of, um, one of the things that my partner and I are working on right now, you know, she lives from her heart. She's, mm-hmm. a, she's a chaplain. She works in the hospital. She's meeting mm-hmm. people who are you know, seriously ill, families in crisis every day. And she, she's, her way of relating and connecting to the world is through the heart. That's, yeah. why I lo- that's why I love her. And I have that capacity. I feel my heart, but it's not where I, it's not my default. Mm-hmm. My default for whatever reasons, nature, nurture is, is the intellect and my body. And so one of the things we're working on is meeting her needs for connection and intimacy more regularly so that I'm kind of dropping into that space of being in the heart more and she feels more seen and connected. So sometimes what happens is when she's not feeling that experience that she wants and she lets me know because it's painful for her, sometimes it comes out with a little bit of reactivity or frustration or, or blame or anger. Not overt, but that sense of like, Oren, you're doing it wrong, kind of. <laughs> you know, like, yes. how come you're not here with me? Where are you? Right. Right. So in my better moments, I'm able to just hear that and go like, oh, sweetie, okay, yeah, you really want, you really want to be connected. Sure. And I can shift. Mm-hmm. But of course, sometimes that hurts for me. And so I carry a little bit of reactivity around that. So the other day, you know, last night, we went out, we had a meal and we went to see a movie. And at one point, she you know, expressed that desire for connection. And she wasn't feeling angry or reactive at all. But that's how I heard it, because I was kind of primed to expect it and feel a little defensive. But what the practice of mindfulness does is 
as that reaction came up, I missed that moment. I didn't catch it right away. My response was a little bit sort of bristly. I don't even remember what I said, but there was a little defensiveness there. And she was present enough to kind of not take the bait and not get mm-hmm. reactive. And, you know, she just kind of looked at me and, and said, like, you know, I, I'm not upset. And in that moment, I was then able with awareness, with presence to just feel the reaction, right? to be aware of it, hold it with, with, uh, with mindfulness, feel it in my body. And then it's not, it's no longer running the show. Right. And that's the power of practicing with presence. So the first, the sort of whole framework of my communication method that I teach, the first foundation is learning how to lead with presence. Right. And, that, and that's that sense of being really aware and connected to ourselves so that whatever's happening, whether we're anxious, defensive, um, scared, vulnerable, mm-hmm. we can still be authentic. We can have that experience without letting it determine how we respond or engage. And, and the, the core principle here, this is the, the last thing I'll say, mm-hmm. is um, that the more aware we are, in our life and our relationships, the more choice we have. Right. When we yeah. know what's going on, we can start to navigate, steer, and make make different choices. And so that's one of the one of the main things presence does for us. Right. And thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think what mm-hmm. there's a couple of things and I know like I deeply appreciate it because obviously this this is what you do. <laughs> and yeah. and that you're still in the practice of it, I think is yeah. like it adds this layer of it's it's not like it's one and done. Like it, it's something mm-hmm. we're all going to practice and and be great at some moments, and then also catch ourselves in other moments. So like, right. oh yeah, that's right. I need to I need to get back in this other space because I think that's yeah. the thing is that I feel sometimes in my own communications is that I have to be perfect all the time at it. Mm-hmm. But of course, that's not also achievable, really. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And, and Nor it's, the goal. <laughs> right, exactly. It sets us up for a whole lot of struggle and frustration and disappointment when we have those kinds of unrealistic, unrealistic expectations. And you know, even when we've really gotten to some level of mastery with these skills, and I have many, many colleagues who have been doing this training, you know, as long and longer than I have. And the reality is that we can't control the world. We can't control other people. So having these tools doesn't mean that we'll never have another argument, that we'll never have another fight, that everyone's always going to like us or you know, approve of everything we do. It means that when those difficulties arise, as they inevitably will in life, that we have the skill to meet them with grace, mm. that we don't need to get thrown off balance or strung out or down on ourselves or panic when there's a conflict or a disagreement or, you know, we screw up, we do something that has a negative unintended effect on someone, right. you know, fine, no worries. That's, that's part of life. It's like, I can hear that. I can receive that. I can, I can be present for you and show up, mm-hmm. take responsibility and move forward together. That's what these tools give us is the the capacity to really have that confidence and flexibility um, to meet what's happening regardless of the conditions inside or outside. Yeah. Ooh, that's that. And that's the good stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I know, I don't know that this is specifically in your book, but something that just comes up for me right there is I, I'm also a life coach. And one of the things mm-hmm. I know that comes up for clients often is they've they've had the conversation that's really difficult or they've felt anger come up in some way. Mm-hmm. And then I know people have said, and then they find themselves ruminating and they just, they can't let go of the moment and they're unpacking it constantly. Yeah. What Do you have thoughts or suggestions? Like how do we, how do we be present with that and mm-hmm. maybe give it the space it needs so it doesn't take over? the day yeah, or whatever. Totally. totally. Yeah, no, that's, that's a skill that, um, that all of us can benefit from developing and, uh, and honing. So there's, uh, there's a few different things that come to mind. So the first is depersonalizing that situation, or uh, let's say it this way, depersonalizing that pattern or that habit and recognizing we all do that. And it's <laughs> right. And, and and we do it for a good reason. 
right? That the, the pattern of rumination is part of the negativity bias. It's part of our evolution whereby, and you know, many people are familiar with this, whereby you know, the, the humans in the wild who survived were the ones who were slightly paranoid and anxious <laughs> because they were always on the lookout for danger, right? Yeah. It's like the person who comes to a rock uh, in the path and says, you know, last time I was here, there was a snake behind that rock. There's probably no snake today. Yeah. They're not the ones who are going to survive. The one who survived is the one that freaks out and says, oh my God, there's that rock. There's probably a snake there. Mm-hmm. So, so that, that, tendency to be on the lookout for threat and danger and to replay perceived threats and difficulties is part of what kept us safe when we were living in touch with the elements more directly. So I always want, I always want to frame things that way because it's easy to get down on ourselves. Like, why am I such a nutcase? Why am I (laughs) such a stress case? You know, just relax and recognize it's not personal. It's just what the mind does. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that there, there's, there's a range of tools and it really depends on kind of how bad it is and what's happening. So I'll just kind of simplify it and break it down and say that you're either going to want to, one, do whatever you need to to get your mind off of whatever that is you're tripping on so that you can come back to balance. And then two, eventually shift your attention into your body so you can feel what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me unpack each of those a little bit. So then um, I'll, I'll, I'll do it in the reverse order. For <laughs> reason. It's, gonna, it's just going to make more sense that way. So when, we, when we're tripping out on a certain thought, when we're worried about something, we keep replaying a conversation that happened or imagining a conversation that we're dreading. Yes. <laughs> the thoughts are just the tip of the iceberg. So part of what's happening is that there's an emotion that's driving those thoughts. And there's a certain kind of pattern of, of activation, of, of sympathetic activation as sort of this energy that's stimulated in our body to protect us. So the fix, the, the resolution doesn't come from thought. If it did, none of us would waste any more time worrying about things because we would have figured it out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So thinking, thinking just goes on. That's its nature. It doesn't actually resolve. In order for that pattern to resolve, we need to bring our attention into our body and begin to feel the energy that's present. And I don't mean that in kind of any sort of like woo-woo spiritual way. I mean, literally, the heart is racing. There's tension in the muscles. The temperature of the body might be slightly increased. What's happening is that our nervous system is mobilizing resources to meet some kind of perceived challenge. So we need to, one, feel that energy in the body, and then two, feel any emotions that are happening, that are moving. And what that does is now what's actually, now we're getting below the surface. We're actually in touch with the rest of the iceberg that's driving those thoughts, And then we can begin to allow some of that energy and some of those emotions to dissipate by not feeding them, but just feeling them. Mm, Yeah. So that's what we're trying to get to. Now, what happens a lot of the time is that we're a little bit too wound up or too reactive. We're, We're getting caught on something. And if we try to feel it, we try to feel the emotion, we try to notice the, you know, sweatiness or the tension or the jitteriness in our body, it's just like it amps up even more. Mm -hmm. So in that situation, if there isn't enough balance and presence in the mind and body, then the most useful thing to do is to actually consciously and intentionally put your awareness someplace else. This is called skillful distraction. It's not about avoidance or suppression. Right. It's about creating the conditions for our nervous system to gain enough perspective and balance so that we can then later come back to actually metabolize what's happening. Right. And so for each of us, that might be something different. Social connection is great. Call a friend, talk to someone, nature, you know, go look at the sky, uh, walk, take a walk, put on some music. Uh, Sometimes food can be very grounding, eat a little bit, get into your body more, do some exercise, anything that takes us out of our head and back into the present moment and the the sensory world. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Right, because that gives you kind of a little way maybe to process it if you're calling a friend as well, but also it yes. takes you from the moment of whatever mm-hmm. the thing was or that you're worried about right. and gives you more of a contact here in the yeah, now. <laughs> exactly, and it takes us out of that internal imaginary world where everything is falling apart and we're just completely consumed by our thoughts and projections and memories right. and puts us back in touch with reality. Mm, thank you very much. Yeah. Totally. And I know also from experience that lots of times it's kind of scary to get into the realm of the emotions of it because that means you have to be with them. And that can be kind of a, can be a frightening experience of how long will it go and how long will I be sad or angry or whatever. But mm. yeah. It's, uh, it is. And, you know, I think that when we start to understand the way emotions work, that fear response begins to, um, begins to dissipate mm. because the the fear that I'm going to be sad forever, I'm going to be angry forever, that's the trick that emotions play on us <laughs> is that when we feel a certain emotion, it seems like it's going to be that way forever. Yeah. Right? Like when we're depressed, it's not like, oh, I'm probably just going to be depressed for a little while and then it's going to get better and things will change. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That's, that's not how we view things when we're depressed. The whole world becomes that. Yeah. And it's like, hey, so. Well, it's so it's so interesting right there because I think, and kind of to go to the joy kind of space of of the show, even like it's interesting that we would think that anger or sadness or depression, I mean, medically defined depression is maybe a little different, but mm-hmm. <laughs> that we can never stay in joy. I mean, we could say in contentment and happy, but like joy is fleeting. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that, and we know that, and we accept that, but then to think, oh well, anger. No, but that's going to stick around forever. Right. Like the logic of that feels kind of funny to me. I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. So, I mean, what we're talking about is is also another core part of having better conversations and, and more meaningful relationships, which is that we mm-hmm. need to, and kind of this, one of the applications of presence is, right, we need to be able to handle our own emotions in order to, you know, navigate choppy waters in right. life. And one of the key things that presence does for us there also is it increases our capacity to be with discomfort, right? right? And one of, the, one of the reasons we end up saying things that we regret or making a big mess in a relationship is that when we experience an uncomfortable emotion, it reaches a certain threshold that we can't tolerate. And so presence gives us that space inside to do what we need to take a deep breath, to mm-hmm. slow down to feel your body. And all of these are really concrete tools that we can use to have more traction in a difficult moment with someone so that we don't end up making things worse. Yes. These are some of the tools that I teach people to learn how to lead with presence is the power of something as simple as a pause, you know, half of a breath, even just a few beats before you say something. Do I really want to say this? What's my purpose? Is this going to be helpful? Just that moment to gather your thoughts and consider where do I want to come from? What's going to be most useful right now? Slowing down the pace of your speech is a really great way to buy yourself some time and also to regulate your nervous system. Because our speech is connected to our breath, when we slow down the pace of our speech, we have to breathe a little bit more slowly and that's naturally calming Mm -hmm. for the body. And then feeling any kind of physical sensation, whether it's your feet or your hands or if you're sitting on a chair, that tends to ground us as well and uh, provide a little bit more stability if things get intense or difficult. Yeah. And I, I love that one of the examples that you gave in the book was when and if, if someone notices that they're feeling that kind of racy feeling all up in their head or they've jumped to the absolutes of never always, and they're about to say something, is that you can buy yourself that time and that pause. Even, I think you said one man even would take (laughs) kind of like dropping his keys or his change on the floor. So there's like a literal pause built in. So everyone kind of has to shift. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We can get, we can get creative with it, right? (laughs) Like there are those ways of taking a pause internally, but then there's, there's, you know, the most common way of doing it is is just literally saying something to the other person like, huh, I'm not sure. Let me think about that for a moment, mm-hmm. right? Or I think I just want to take a, take a pause for a sec before I respond, you know? So depending on the context, 
finding a way of saying that that is culturally and socially appropriate. Mm -hmm. Another strategy when you can't seem to find the words is just excusing yourself to go to the bathroom. <laughs> no, it's it's really yeah. inappropriate to uh, to comment when someone goes to the bathroom. Like, why are you going to the bathroom? No one says that. It's it's just understood. So if you're in a meeting, it's getting heated. Just you know, excuse yourself, go to the bathroom. You can collect your thoughts there. Or you know, the kind of humorous example you gave of actually literally making a distraction or something. Yeah. That's kind of when all else fails. Right. Well, no, but it's, it's definitely clever. <laughs> yeah. um, one of the things that strikes me is this all seems very like, oh, yes, this is good and sensible. What is it? Why is it that maybe this isn't something that comes natural? Mm. You know, like, why is this not something we naturally go to or... Maybe that's not the best phrase question, but like kind of... No, I understand. If it's not natural, how do we start to feel our way into making it a natural part? Yeah. Well, so, um, so this, is a good, this is a good moment to mention um, Marshall Rosenberg, who's mm -hmm. the uh, founder of Nonviolent Communication, which is the communication technique that I'm trained in and that I teach and is kind of the basis of the communication tools that I integrate into... Uh, meditation and contemplative practice. So Marshall Rosenberg, Dr. Rosenberg used to say, um, it's very important to be clear and not confuse what's natural with what's habitual. Mm, yes. And I think it would be, and you kind of, I think intuitively were sensing this in the way you asked the question. I think that what would be more accurate to say, um, or maybe I should put it this way, what my belief or my view is that the sort of competitive, adversarial ways that we have, most of us have been trained to communicate. Mm -hmm. Whatever side of the equation you're on, whether you're on the aggressive side or the defensive side or that side that says, okay, I'm just going to disappear. I'm just going to say, yes, I don't want to make waves. Right. This whole paradigm of win-lose, either or, we're separate and uh, there's not enough and therefore we need to fight to make sure that I get my way, that's based on a, a whole worldview and a whole uh, way of relating that is habitual, that we have learned through repeated experience. And so my view is that what's more natural for us is actually to be compassionate and to work together, right? Like no child is born hating people that are different than no. them, right? That's, that's learned. Hatred is learned. Separation is learned. We're, we're born with innate curiosity, a desire to learn about the world and a deep sense of connection to our caregivers and to the world around us. And so based on the experiences we have, we then develop those patterns. So I think that's why this doesn't come more, quote, naturally. Is, <laughs> it's right. because we've all been sort of molded and shaped through the socialization process to think and speak and act in certain ways. And so the process is one of unlearning those patterns and having different experiences like we don't we don't trust these tools maybe initially until we begin to have some success with them and it's a you know it's a it's mm -hmm. a long road and it's like you build one little success on on another but you know i think that each of us has, has had the experience at least somewhere along the way in our life of having a disagreement a conflict a fight with someone Mm -hmm. There was a friend, a family member, even a colleague. And for whatever reason, we were able to work it out. You know, we, we talked it through. Maybe we got a little heated, but in the end, we were able to hear each other. And when that happens, the result is that we grow closer. That relationship strengthens. There's more trust and stability because we learn, oh, wow, we can actually get through something difficult. So now I can actually trust you more. To, right. to disagree. And so what we're, what we're doing with these tools is we're starting to study what are the conditions that allow us to have those kinds of more collaborative, creative conversations where we come through to the other side. And instead of it just being random, we learn to enhance and create those conditions in our lives more. And so the, the first prerequisite that we've already sort of touched on is presence, being showing up, right? Otherwise, we're just on automatic. The second is our intention. Mm -hmm. Where are we coming from? And a lot of the times, we're not even really aware of our intention in a conversation. But this is a huge 
determinant of where a conversation or a relationship will go. And the more we can choose consciously uh, and intentionally a clear and helpful orientation or motivation in the conversation, that's going to start to shape the whole atmosphere, the whole the whole space of what's happening. And whether it's curiosity or being patient or being authentic, all of these are, are um, much more helpful intentions than our default to defend ourselves or judge or, or win or prove a point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find that to be really interesting from a point of, I mean, I remember one difficult work situation where one woman and I, I think some of it was roles and responsibilities weren't clearly outlined. And probably then we both bring our own filter to what that means when we communicate Mm -hmm. not so well. And we just decided we're going to Starbucks Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we're working this out. Like we can't keep going on where we both feel angsty all day. So we're going to work this out. I mean, what it did show us is we can, and it ended, you know, with, kind of grateful tears and a hug and then this renewed sense of like, hey, we can conquer anything. And then that that Beautiful. formation was yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Um, and vul- it was vulnerable. And I think we both were like, I cannot yes. believe we did that. But then yeah. it led to this like we've got each other's backs, which then mm-hmm. really increased the whole team's ability to have flexibility and like trust, like it, it just set this interesting thing afloat for everyone when we were finally able to find the space where we could communicate and it didn't have to be, uh, we didn't have to be upset, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which seems silly, but it was like kind of amazing. And it's, it's, I'm glad we did it. Yeah. And, and one of the things you're, you're pointing to there, Paula, I think, which is so, so huge, particularly for, for our professional life is if we can't do that, like if we can't tolerate difference and conflict and disagreement, we limit severely the amount of creativity mm. uh, and teamwork and synergy that can happen. It's like we need to be able to to go outside of the box, to be in that creative dynamic tension where we're disagreeing and seeing things from different points of view and holding different values in order to have a wider playing field, whatever the, whatever the arena is. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you said, if I, if I can just kind of build on and, and maybe, of course, yeah. maybe slip in a, a couple more tools here. And you said when you sat down with that colleague, there was that sense of like, hey, if we can do this, we can do anything. <laughs> yeah. These two um, foundations that I've mentioned so far of presence, of like just really showing up you know, with another human being, one. And two, having a clear and helpful intention. The, mm-hmm. the default one that I encourage is curiosity and care. Right. This is the genuine intention to understand. We can go a really long way in a conversation with those two. If, if we do nothing else, if we learn how to be present and how to come from an intention to really try to understand someone Mm-hmm. and to help them understand us, to build that connection, that can take us a long distance. Yeah. I, w- I want to share like maybe two other tools from the, the whole third foundation that I teach, which is focus on what matters. Yeah, I would love that. Yes. You know, how do we get to what's actually most important instead of getting sidetracked in the details, instead of getting caught up in our judgments mm-hmm. um, and our worries, instead of, you know, the sort of petty... Um, focus on our ego or identity that can come in. Right. Or how we've been misunderstood or mm-hmm. how you didn't see me or exactly how that one email was so mean or whatever, right. whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, you know, there's a time and place for those things are valid. And do we lose sight of the big picture? Right. Yeah. Even in those instances, are we aware of what matters? Even right. in that email that was so mean, are we focused on blaming the other person and proving them wrong? Or are we aware of what actually matters, which is, hey, you know, like, I want understanding or I want to have a relationship where we both respect each other and we can communicate when things go wrong in a way that's onward leading, that, that moves things forward rather than lays blame. You know, do we lose sight of the, the underlying values and objectives in a situation? So the tools here that we can build on to have more meaningful relationships, to have more effective conversations. The first is this 
this skill really that I'm pointing to, which is an ability to shift our attention from the specifics of what's happened and our own preferences and ideas for what should be, okay, to use that word, the way we create this this idea of, well, this is what should happen or should have happened, or this is what I want to have happen. Can we shift from the what to the why? Why does this matter? What's important here? Because it's at that level of why, the deeper values, objectives, and needs that we can start to hear one another and work together and get creative. We can argue uh, until we turn blue about what I think we should do it this way. And no, I think you're wrong. And this other one's going to be better until we get to why I think I want to do it this way. And why do you think this other way would be better? We're not actually going to be able to learn from each other and collaborate. So focusing on what matters is a skill that we, that we develop to actually perceive our own ideas and emotions and the statements and experiences and ideas that other people have from the perspective of what's most important, what really matters to this person, underneath what they're saying, underneath even how they're feeling, are there deeper needs, are there, are there values? And this is really a language, it's a vocabulary that um, many of us don't learn, but it's what motivates us. It's what drives us in life. Our longing for to contribute, to be valued, our longing for companionship, for teamwork, for partnership, for creativity, self-expression, belonging, you know, kindness, touch, connection, all of these deeper needs that we have as human beings. So one of the things that I really encourage people who want to improve their communication skills to do is to begin to just build a vocabulary for the deeper needs and values that drive you in your life and that you share with other people. And there's a whole needs list that comes out of the nonviolent communication system. And it's uh, maybe at the end, we can tell folks uh, that I have uh, free resources on my website from the book that you can download, you can get a list and just just start learning that. So mm-hmm. that's, if I, if I could only give people one more tool in addition to presence and intention, it would be learn how to focus on what matters. Learn how, how to identify your own needs and other people's needs. Yeah, especially the, the focusing. I don't know if this goes in the same space, but kind of like, like one of the questions I ask myself is, and not in like a what hedonistic way, but like, mm-hmm. do I want to be right or do I just want to be happy? Like, yeah, no, like, totally. What, what's at stake here for me being right? I think that might have actually come from Wayne Dyer. Uh, but, but like that kind of question of what's guiding this, if I want to engage with someone at a level, like, does it really matter if I'm right? Yes, right. And exactly. oftentimes it doesn't matter at all. It's just that habitual patterning of, yeah. I, engaging well, in that way. Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to kind of take what you're saying and then just like, let's apply this tool that I'm suggesting. So being sure. right is a strategy. That's right. Yeah. So that's an idea that I have in my mind. I should, you know, like you should acknowledge that I'm right. You should apologize. So what are the needs underneath that? Right. So like, I know for me, when I want to be right, usually I want understanding. Yeah. Uh, I want to be acknowledged mm-hmm. that I'm a yep. competent or <laughs> educated so individual. And I know right where that one comes from. I'm very uh-huh. short and I'm often <laughs> totally terrified that people are taking me as a child uh-huh. so, or like that I'm not being seen as equal. So maybe yeah. that's where that one is. Yeah. So great. So, so then you're, what you're touching into that I'm hearing is, is it's not just um, acknowledgement. There's, there's competence, mm, yeah. a sense of being valued and seen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when we consider, right, if someone says, no, 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 you're right, you're right. How much does that actually meet that need for acknowledgement and being seen and understood, you know, versus someone saying, you know, wow, when you put it that way, here's what I understand. And actually getting to your point of view and letting them know that you understand it's not about being right or wrong. It's just about the understanding and the acknowledgement for whatever that piece is that you're holding. Yes. Yeah. And so you're totally hitting on exactly the thing. I don't know that I need to be right. I just need, there is a deep need sometimes to be seen or at least mm-hmm. have presence held for myself from another person that I care about. Yeah. Yeah. 
There's that beautiful line from a Rumi poem that you're probably familiar with. It says, you know, out beyond the ideas of right and wrong, there is a field. I will meet you there. Mm, there's, that, yes. there's that sense that when we move beyond the, those fixed notions, uh, a whole world opens up of, of really a world of our shared humanity. So good one. <laughs> yeah, I don't, right. It's a good one. It is. That's where I want to live. I don't know how much time we have left, Paul, but there's one yeah. more tool I want to share with people. Yeah, let's do that. And then we'll jump into your book. And then I usually have a couple questions, but you Great. can probably nail them quick. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. So the, the last tool that I would want people to have, like if this was the only time that, that we had together, is a very, very uh, specific and concrete way to build the understanding in a conversation. Earlier, we were talking about how, mm. how understanding is the currency of communication. It's that sense of message sent equals message received. We get that confirmation that someone's really hearing us. So developing your own authentic way of checking that understanding is happening is really important in a conversation. And this is where conversations often break down is even if we're listening or the other person is listening, we often fail to make sure that the other person feels heard. We don't give them the space or the the experience of feeling heard. And that's where the trust is built. It's not just that I'm listening and understanding what you're saying, but it's you as the other person in this conversation feeling heard, mm-hmm. right? So there's those two components. There's my understanding, and then there's you trusting that I understand. There's you actually feeling in yourself some sense of relief. Yeah, thank you. You, you get it. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? There's a very simple tool that many of us have probably actually been exposed to, but never quite made our own. And the way it's usually taught is active listening, which I, 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 even, I don't really even like that phrase because it implies an artificial technique, which doesn't work. Right. Yeah. It has to be genuine. And so the, the move here is in a conversation, whenever there is emotionally charged material, a lot of information, anything complex, or just a sense that the, the other person is wanting or needing to be heard or understood, or we're wanting to be heard or understood, being able to share with the other person what it is we're understanding. And the simplest way that, that I suggest people to do that is to come up with a really short phrase that leads in to your saying back to the person what you've heard. So it could be something like, let me see if I'm following, or I want to make sure I'm understanding. Here's what I'm getting. Tell me if I'm on point. I want to make sure we're on the same page. And so you find your own words for that. And you just start with that short phrase and then just say back what it is you're understanding. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to agree. Right. Really important. We can just tell the other person, here's what I'm hearing your experiences. Here's what I'm getting is the way you're seeing things. It doesn't mean that I agree. It just means I'm telling you, this is the information that I, I hear you sharing with me. If the other, if we get it right, great. The other person knows we understood. If we don't get it right, <laughs> the other person will clarify. It's really important for them to know, yeah, no, that's not quite it. Let me try again. So this is a very powerful tool in conversations. Initially, it feels like it takes more time and slows things down. And in one way, it does slow things down. That's the point. But in the end, in the long run, it's actually more efficient. Because what we're doing is we're building understanding one step at a time. And then we're not wasting time arguing. We're not wasting time reacting to something the other person didn't really say or intend, but we interpreted or heard. And we're building trust. We're building trust and goodwill in the conversation. And when you're on the other side, when you're the one who's wanting understanding, ask. Say, so, you know, it'd be really helpful for me just to know if you're, if you're getting what I'm saying. Like, what are you hearing? What do you hear matters to me? Or what's, what's the kind of key thing you're taking away from this? And then that gives us that confirmation. Right. I love it. Because that definitely builds in the pause as well. It kind of builds in all of the pieces. Yeah. Maybe we're really like desperately desiring, but unless we're a participant in creating it, it kind of gets lost too. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. That's good stuff. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so 
if anybody wants to find you and your mm-hmm. book, or I believe you have a course coming up. I do. You, that's right. Would you let us know where that? Yeah, would be? definitely. Great. So, um, if you want to learn more about these tools, um, I am teaching a six-week online course. It starts October 17th and uh, orenjsofer.com, O-R-E-N-J-A-Y-S-O-F-E-R.com forward slash online. That'll take you right to the online course. Uh, I'm also on social media at orenjsofer if folks like to hang out there. And uh, the best way to stay in touch, if you want to learn more about my work and get uh, some free guided meditations and other free resources, is to join my monthly newsletter. And I send out a a guided meditation or a teaching once a month. And uh, you can sign up right on my website, orangesofer.com. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll put all of those links in the show notes. And then I have one last question. What are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Ah, just hearing that question brings me joy. (laughs) So I'm going to slip a fourth in, which is ask yourself that question. (laughs) You know? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's pointed that out, but it is kind of mindful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, if we want to... Um, experience anything in our life, you know, just kind of asking ourselves, how does this come about? How does this arise is a, is a great way to do that, whatever, whether it's patience or integrity or, you know, mm-hmm. anything. So uh, yeah, how to jumpstart joy in oneself, others or the world. So I'm going to take a moment, if, uh, if I may, and just uh, kind of listen and collect my thoughts here. So yeah, so um, What comes to mind for me, so the first thing that came to mind to jumpstart joy in oneself, others in the world, and I think it covers all three, is uh, find ways to be kind and generous. Give of yourself to others. That's one of the most joyful experiences we have as human beings is helping one another and giving. It uh, gives us a sense of innate value. It enhances our sense of dignity and self-worth. It deepens social connection, which is, you know, been the research has shown is the number one predictor for long-term happiness is our level of social connection. So, uh, and that's created and supported by kindness and generosity. So just look, it doesn't need to be big. You know, just look for small ways to be kind and generous, you know, smile, hold the door for someone, send an email or a, you know, note to someone you haven't talked to in a while, pay for someone's coffee behind you in line. There's all kinds of neat ways to do that. Uh, Volunteer at a local organization or shelter, this is one. Then number two, and I'll frame this in the most broad way, is attuned to beauty. Mm. We, just, we just live in such a remarkable universe. And uh, yeah, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of tragedy and violence and pain. And uh, it's, uh, it's hard. And to stay on track, we need nourishment. We don't notice the beauty if we don't look for it open yourself and, and pay attention to beauty. And that appears differently for each of us. You know, for some, for some people, beauty is a beautiful piece of code, <laughs> you know, for other people, it's the stars in the night sky. For others, it's music or art or, you know, cooking a beautiful meal. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter where you find it, but um, attuned to that. And then the last thing I think is um, meaning and purpose. Uh, some of the deepest joy I think that we can experience as human beings is the joy of feeling connected to purpose in our lives and knowing that our our that we are using uh, the precious time and energy that we have in a way that's meaningful. And so that's a journey for each of us. I don't think it's a once and for all you you find it and it's done. But asking that question and and looking for it is uh, in and of itself as part of the journey. And then the, the last thing, I know you said three, and <laughs> so, but why not go for more? No, I just, I talked to my old high school physics teacher today and uh, I learned a ton from him in high school, um, not only about physics, but about being human. And I uh, reconnected with him today for a, a, a new book that I'm writing and um, mm, he taught amazing. me something else. And it's one of the areas that I, I uh, need to grow and learn and develop in. And this is, it's a sign that I didn't think of this first, but I'm so glad it, it came out. And that's to play more. Yes. And play is such a wonderful a source of joy. So I'll, mm. I'll maybe we'll end on that note. Amazing. Thank you so much, Oren. This has just really been a treat to get to spend time with you. Thanks for Likewise. being Likewise. Yeah, you too, Paula. 
Oren, thank you so much for being on the show. It has been an absolute treat to get to speak with you. And I really thank you for sharing about your book and for making it available to all of us. It has been especially helpful to myself and my husband as we read it out loud to each other. If you guys want to find out more about Say What You Mean, a nonviolent approach to communication, you can find the links to it in the show notes for this episode, which are at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash Oren, O-R-E-N. And while you're there, you will find links to his site. He also has that amazing online course that you can take about nonviolent communication. And it starts on the 17th, so just a couple days from today. Be sure and sign up for my exciting three joyful things newsletter there will be a piece going out this thursday about some of my insights and how i have found oren's work so helpful to my life so you can find the sign up at the bottom of the show notes at jumpstartyourjoy.com and next week on the show i'm really excited because my assistant mallory and i have recorded an episode from the conference floor at she podcast live and we will be releasing it as episode 209 next week and we're going to talk about the six joyful things that we saw being present in this amazing space and some of the amazing things that we learned being part of she podcast live so i hope you'll come on back for that episode next week and until then i hope that your days are filled with so much joy joy.